Welcome to Wizard Team, a Black magical podcast for Black magical stories. Hi everyone, it's Bayana, Robin, and Portia embarking on a journey through the many fantasy stories written by and about Black people. Today, we're really excited to be joined by Victor Laval, author of the 2023 release, Lone Women, as well as the recently adapted for TV novel, The Changeling. Hi, Victor. Hello, it's good to be here. Thank you for coming. Thanks for coming. Oh yeah, it's a gift. <laughs> um. Okay, so just like starting off, um, can you briefly tell the audience what Lone Women is about? Sure. Lone Women uh, is, uh, it's set in 1915. It's uh, about a woman named Adelaide Henry, who is a from a black farming family in Southern California. Uh, in the very opening of the novel, a horrific tragedy happens uh, and she has to flee the farm uh, alone. And she runs to the uh, wilds of Montana to homestead there. And the only thing she brings with her is a large steamer trunk. Uh, and the, the danger of it all is that whenever that steamer trunk opens, people die. Spooky. <laughs> totally fine. Totally fine. <laughs> it really does give a different concept of the idea of carrying baggage. Like what yeah, literally. Yes. yeah, literally. Yeah, literally. Yeah. And how heavy it was. It's on the nose, but uh, I say, ah, well, what are you going to do? Yeah. I feel, yeah, it definitely worked. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. You're, um, speaking of like carrying things, like you're known for writing stories based in the New York City area. Um, you also are based um, in the Bronx. So um, thinking about the stories that you've written in the New York area, like the aesthetic, um, aesthetic um, the Devil in Silver, and the Ballad of Black Tom, to name a few. Um, so your, lo- your choice for location for lone women is a major coastal departure. It's like the actually opposite coast. Um, Complete opposite, yeah. Right? Um, and what was your initial inspiration for this story? Was it influenced at all by the places that we see? Or was there another source of inspiration for it all? Well, it's two things. The first was uh, like uh, the book I wrote just before this was a novel called The Changeling, which was my, uh, in a way, like my big love letter to New York City. Uh, and uh it's about New York and about growing up in New York and about New York history and all the rest. And uh, after I finished that book, even as a New Yorker, I was pretty sick of New York to say nothing of how the rest of the world feels about New York, right? So I said, I really gotta write about somewhere else, but I wasn't necessarily sure about where. Um, and, uh, but what I, but a couple years earlier, I had read this book called uh, Montana Women Homesteaders a field of one's own, which was this history book I picked up just by chance in the local history section at the University of Montana bookstore when I went to do a reading there years ago. Uh, like anytime I travel somewhere that's not New York, um, if I'm if I'm not there for very long, I try to pick up a book of local history while I'm there and bring it back so that I can at least, even if I don't experience the place because I'm only there for a day or two, I can learn about the place I was. Uh, right. And this is also like maybe being born and raised in New York, uh, being born and raised anywhere. It's very easy to only be focused on where you're from mm-hmm. and just trying to expand my mind about the world, you know. So uh, in that book, the whole book is about lone women homesteaders, meaning women who went out to places like Montana in the early 1900s and they were able to claim land. They didn't need to have a husband co-sign. They didn't need to have a father co-sign anything like that. And that was a surprise to me, number one, because I think my own ideas about the time was like a woman on her own would never be allowed that degree of independence. Right. Uh, so that was already a surprise. But then the second surprise, I assumed like, well, it would only be white women who had the right to this. But the book, the whole point of the book, or like one of the points of the book was it was not only white women, that there were black women homesteaders. There were uh, Chicano women who came from Mexico and uh, homesteaded. Uh, but then it got more complicated because then it turned out like but Chinese people couldn't homestead because in that period of time, in that part of the country, the greatest prejudice was against Chinese people, uh, largely because they had come to the U.S. and were doing too well. And uh, you know what happens. Whenever someone's doing too well, we got to make a law to make it illegal. Um, so they did that to the Chinese. And the more that I dug into this, 
Uh, to say nothing of, of course, also the indigenous population there could not be homesteaders for a while at least. And then at a certain point they could, but all of this got, was so complicated and interesting. And was it the opposite of what I thought it must be like? And so to me, that was the, the thing that made me lean in and say like, okay, if, if this is surprising to me, it might be surprising and interesting to other people too. Yeah. I um, recently did a, I don't know how recently, but I did a road trip out into the plains and um, those like descriptions in the book about just like those wide expanses and the wind and the sky, like it's, it's interesting because I was like, Oh, I see that still, even though it's been, you know, you think it's so much modern and stuff, but there's like nothing in my yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. There's little pockets of things, but then there's just like a lot of land. Um, so Lone Woman does, it follows a black woman in 1915, um, in this unique space where you wouldn't really think of uh, Black women being what drew you to that time period, that year, and then um, kind of in the, you know, there's a lot of stories and things around like Black people in the night in the early 1900s um, in like cities, but right. um, what kind of drew you to this like time period and, and, and locale? Well, as I was reading through that uh, that history book, that Montana Women Homesteaders book, uh, there was a mention of one woman in particular named Bertie Brown, who was a black woman homesteader in Montana, and who it was just kind of been passing, but they said like had the was famous in part because she had the best, essentially the best moonshine for in three states, and it was one of the ways she made her living. And for me, like I kind of that was enough for me to start saying, well, if there was a Bertie Brown, I bet there, maybe there were some others. And as I did more research, I found there was another black woman homesteader named Annie Morgan, who had, who had, who was a little before Bertie Brown. And I started finding just, I mean, in the end, maybe like a half a dozen, right. But that's enough. That was enough for me mm -hmm. to say they're there. And like, uh, and also to like, uh, the, one of the things, one of the pleasures I took was feeling like if I, um, if I put this together and I publish this, the joy I would feel when there would be some people who'd be like, oh, look at them trying to make the West woke and trying to put black women there when there were none and being able to say, you're just ignorant and you're just wrong. Uh, and the idea like that, we've always been there. This is not a new thing, you know? Uh, and so it was just so much fun to try to picture that and put that in there. But then I would also say, so that was the historical reason for doing it. But then on the more personal reason uh, for doing it. So my mom uh, is from Uganda uh, and came to the United States. Well, she came to Canada. Funny story is she came to Canada and found Canada too racist. So she came to the to United States mm. to do. She was like, maybe the U.S. will be better. <laughs> and like we laugh about that to this day where she was like, oh. Okay, maybe all of North America was a problem. Um, but nevertheless, she came here, um, came to New York, didn't have anybody and like made a life, um, uh, had me and my sister, brought my grandmother over and we made our life here. Uh, and as the more I was like thinking about these black women out West and these women in general out West doing it alone, the more I was thinking of my mom and the kind of, the courage, the, the also, but also the, like the risk-taking of it all to just come and do it and just say, well, one way or the other, I'm going to make this work. And so that was my way. I had the historical stuff, but it was also my way of maybe in a way sort of, um, writing about my mom and trying to imagine the, the bravery of her doing this thing, uh, and doing it, uh, so well, you know, like, I mean, we, we survived to adulthood, so. Uh, I think she succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shout out to your mom. Uh, yes, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's definitely something that like struck me about Adelaide, and even the other like perspectives and like other people that she came across is just like they were all just like, okay, we're about to do this, and mm -hmm. yeah, we're in the middle of nowhere, and yeah, it's the middle of winter, and we're gonna have to figure <laughs> out like how to make it through. Um, yeah. 
and then just and like, helping each other happen. while also being skeptical, which is like kind of like yeah. your mom is like, eh, it's yeah. racist here. Maybe there's somewhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, making it work while still being, you know. I mean, the great thing about the U.S. is that, like, something that I, like, when I went to Toronto that I was speaking to Black Torontoans was Mm -hmm. interesting because they were talking about how, um, yeah, you got racism, but at least y'all have each other. Like, they don't really (laughs) have a Black community where it's, like, like, are coming together all the time. They have their different, like, you know, migrant identities. Uh, But in America, it's like, well, we're all Black, so we're just going to be Black together. That'll be the... Well, I mean, yeah, the U.S., it's it, like those categories are so like you just it's this box or this box i mean broadly speaking right like mm-hmm. more maybe more recently in theory there's other boxes i guess but even that i tend to feel like oh you're kidding yourself there's only two boxes in the u.s uh and you need to figure out which box right like uh and so i agree like it, it allows for a degree of like um not getting into well you're from Trinidad, I'm from Jamaica, I'm from St. Lucia, so we can't all be, we can't help each other. You'd be like, you could, and you could, yeah. you could do better as a result or whatever, you know, I mean, this is, that's a very American point, of, U.S. point of view, but I agree with you. I do think it's a gift yeah. or can be. Depending. <laughs> Most well, it makes the best like of a is. bad thing, right? Like yeah, uh, absolutely. in theory, you wish you didn't have to team up. But right. the U.S. You have U.S. To. makes your team up, you and the fact that you can though is like is a blessing. Like I think so. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um. So your writing is really visual and like cinematic. Was that an intentional choice? Um, in this case, or was it just like is that just how you write? Or and did the finished project product kind of look how you were envisioning it when you were first like you know reading that book and getting that inspiration? I think uh, the, my writing has changed over time. Uh, and um, the earlier books, I think, are maybe a little less visual, more like most like more like dialogue and voice kind of thing. But as time has gone by, um, that's like just I'm thinking like when I'm reading things or, or whatever, I, I have a hard time, I mean, it seems silly, like I have a hard time picturing things very easily. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, in a weird way, if people describe too much, I get lost too. You know, like yeah. uh, a page and a half of how someone looks, I can't see them anymore. But if it's like a good two lines that kind of sums up something, their faces, I mean, it's a terrible version, but their face is bright as the sun or something like that. On some level, I get it. Like they make, they when they look at you, it feels like they're shining they're, and you're basking in the warmth and I get it. And so as time has gone by, I felt more and more like, let me try to do that. So that if someone is a reader like me, they get just enough to picture it, but not so much that they drown, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, and the final product. Yeah. I mean, uh, the original, like originally I wrote this as a short or longest short story that was in an anthology, um, called long hidden. It's a great anthology. It's, uh, um, like lots of different writers, uh, writing like, um, speculative versions of American history. Um, and, uh, I wrote the story for that, but the story ended, um, without any spoilers, it kind of, it ended right after the scene with the mudges. Um, like after things all come to a conclusion with the, the, when the Mudge family comes to visit Adelaide, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, it kind of ended there and then that was it. Um, and, but I, like after some time I started thinking like, I think there's more story to tell here. Um, and in particular, there's more between Adelaide and without revealing anything again without and the surprise other person who matters a lot uh, to to Adelaide uh, and so I just thought let me go back I want to tell more of this story I like that yeah I the mudges are a whole mess uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get a little bit into there so, <laughs> um, so like I kind of like going like 
pulling out a little bit. Um, so the title, like the final title for Alone Woman, I know like as a writer, you go through, probably go through like a lot of different ideas for titles as things go on. But the final title mm-hmm. for the story ends up being Lone Women, mm-hmm. um, which implies two antithetical like concepts, like alone as in like a singular existence and then women, like a plurality mm-hmm. of people who consider themselves a woman. So as you read the novel, you come to understand that Adelaide, is on a journey like she started off starts off like lonely and even though she has her baggage with her the loneliness is like the oppressing like emotion that she's going with um but it's throughout her journey uh, even when she's kind of resistant to engaging in community she finds a community and women who are also like facing the pressure of like being homesteaders and building that life on their own and then using only their own abilities and like what resources they've been able to develop. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is all during a time period where we're told like this is unusual behavior, right? Um, especially for women. Um, how early in your writing of the story uh, did you think that community had to be part of what her adolescent journey included um, and was necessary for her character development and growth? Well, I knew, I mean, again, like going back to reading that first history book and then I read other stuff because uh, as I got more interested in the time period and the region and all the rest, but like one thing that comes up, came up again and again in that book was um, whether it was the lone women or just homesteaders in general was the sense that like uh, the land was so hard to live in that you could not afford to be sort of an individualist like no but even if you your next the closest neighbors five miles away you hate them they hate you but if you run out of firewood they will give you firewood if they run out of water you will give them water because you know that this land will happily kill all of you uh uh and not even notice right the wind will just blow you away um and so that really stayed with me that sense that like um you can't write this as a story where she goes out on the homestead and she does it all herself because nobody could, um, which then led to the question of like, because uh, originally it was going to be Adelaide and her baggage, so to speak, just going out. Right. Um, but the more I read, the more I was like, it's impossible. So then who are these other people going to be? And then it became fun to think to the point about the title instead of lone woman, there were other women. So there's the fun irony of like alone, but it's plural women. Who are these other women all of a sudden I started wondering about? And then I started saying like, well, what if she does do, she find, does find family out there and she finds these other women. Cause the other thing about the, the, the book was it talked about like the, the, the kind of woman who did this was often a woman for whom the life they were, like it was better to to leave the life they were in and come out here than to stay. And then thinking about like, this place is almost, is deadly, is almost gonna kill you and it's better than what you left. So what must these women be leaving behind, right? And so then that was exciting to sort of say, okay, you know, they all have stories. It's not just Adelaide. They all have things they're running from and then making that found family then kind of go up against in a sense like the town as a more traditional sense of like oh this is how you're supposed to do things right we're nuclear families we're married couples we're respect we're men we're respectable blah 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 whatever that means and then here's these outsiders over here and and what happens when those two sides sort of clash yeah, like they literally live on the fringes of both yes. like the social sphere yeah. and like the fringes of the town limits and stuff. So yeah, it's really great um, allegory. You know, yeah, it was, I mean, the, the, the nice thing was like, there were so many, one of the things I will say as a writer, <clears throat> excuse me, as I get older, I think when I was a newer writer, I would sort of say, again, like, like the baggage thing, oh, that's too on the nose. Some of them should live in the town, you know, like, but as I get older, I start, start to say, just, just lean into it. It's fine. And people will actually get what you mean instead of like, oh, I had you have to unravel all my secret meetings. <laughs> just let people understand you. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I feel like when it's like an intentional, like this is what it is, whether it's on the nose or not, if you're like, no, this is what it is, and you lean into that instead of trying to like maintain some mystery with it, like it definitely I feel like it is effective. Um, and I agree. It's done well. So it's like it, it, yeah. it doesn't matter. Like I was still like, what's in the <laughs> 
Right. But also, I don't want to know what's in the baggage. Um, so, why was it important for Adelaide to develop a found family while also, you know, thinking back to all of the pain and responsibility put on her by the family she was born into and like where she left even as she's leaving to go to this new place you're kind of thinking that she wants to be alone like alone Mm -hmm. is kind of where she'll feel safe but then kind of despite herself but also like you said because it's necessary she makes these connections but then they become deep um why was it important for you for her to have that kind of found family well i guess there's two things um uh, number one, I, I suppose is like, um, an ongoing theme for me, it, uh, like, uh, I think from my own personal life is I know that there are lots of people who have, uh, probably like uncomplicated feelings about their family and they're close with their family, their family and them are always supportive. I don't think I've met those people, but I sure that they must exist, right? Because there's so much media that is that takes that for granted, like always choose family over no over anyone else. Always, and I always see that thing. And I go like always, because <laughs> I gotta tell you, sometimes I really choose strangers over my family, uh, like for sure. Um, and so I feel like I have a very complicated, uh, or or a I have a complex feeling about that idea, and that in fact, as I've grown older, I've found there are some family members who I love with all my heart, and I hold them close. And there's some family members I have learned I'm I'm just not we're just not in touch we're just not we are blood but we're not family if that makes sense and then I have met people in my life as life has gone on who are family to me even though obviously we're not blood um, and so in the case of uh, Adelaide I I did want to write about a person who had every reason to want to escape family because the family she came from had had baggage, had chains, had weight that might make one want to run away forever. But then she, what she runs into is the truth that not everybody, but for many, many, many people, we do want some connection. You know, we do want some support and love in the world. Um, and then if we're lucky, sometimes we don't find it with the people, with the family we are born into. If we're very lucky, we might find it with other people. You know, and I, I, I wanted Adelaide, I didn't want to punish Adelaide. I wanted Adelaide to find it. Yeah, that's, um, that's great. And I, yeah, I love, I really liked the moments of like flashbacks when she was kind of thinking back on her family and initially like, you feel like I mean you feel her sorrow the entire time but like as the story goes on you see like how complex it is and like Mm -hmm. how she holds this love and like you know grief for her family but also like resentments and like you Mm -hmm. know things that she's like okay this was actually not cool and I actually hate that we had to do this (laughs) (laughs) Um, and being able to like hold both um, while also moving forward was like really cool I appreciate that I mean I do and I do think you know like that is a part of growing up, right? It's like, uh, uh, maybe if you're lucky, like when you're a kid, it's, you love your family, you adore them, they're amazing, or some version of that. And then maybe when you're a teenager or into your early 20s, at least my experience, you're awful. I, I hate all of you, blah, blah, blah. Even if I don't, I can't say it, but I'm thinking it, right? Uh, and then hopefully, as long as no one is truly terrible, the like third stage after that is like, I love this about you, but I also criticize this about you. And I'm sure that, and you do it to me, but maybe we find a way to, to be at peace with each other. Yeah. The um, understanding that your parents make mistakes and that those mistakes inform your life, but don't have to like become your life, I think is something that you find in Adelaide's story. And there's a particular scene when she's, yeah. <laughs> I say it. <laughs> confronting that mm-hmm. um and confronting her parents or her oh. the burden her parents put on her perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a scene that I think really like 
<laughs> highlights highlights that that I think is like it, it stuck out to me, and also it was one of, it was at a point in the book where I was like, "What is happening?" Um, <laughs> but um, was also something that I I think that like adults would all would kind of want to be able to do is kind of unburden themselves and have those honest conversations with the people that they love. Um, I don't know how to finish the sentence. So. <laughs> yeah, spoiling. I enjoyed it. Cool. <laughs> I was going to say, we can, <laughs> we can go to the next question so you don't spoil it. <laughs> um, I'm the tourist for spoiling things. That's, oh, is that right? Okay. That's why the, 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 She's doing her the best. podcast is spoiler heavy. I'm doing the best. I'm doing the best. <laughs> um, so, you know, we talked about um, Adelaide and, like, the group of women that she allies with finds family um, in, but she also has to deal with, like, these underhanded townsfolk. We also mentioned the Mudges already. Um, there's another lone adult woman with, like, four kids. Um, mm-hmm. Did you find fun in writing these, like, antagonists? Um they definitely felt like there was like a level of like there was the danger and you can feel the stakes but it was also like a little like ridiculous and it's just like mm-hmm. it was kind of like funny in some ways um so yeah, yeah. So, like i i had i mean i i had so much fun in particular writing the mudges uh like they're um to me they were uh you know, in a way, like the mirror opposite of Adelaide and the other lone women, right? Like, but in particular, the mirror opposite of Adelaide, in the sense of like, this is another Mrs. Mudge. It's another woman coming out here alone. She's bringing, in a sense, her baggage, right? She's bringing these four mm-hmm. boys, um, and in theory, uh, from the perspective of like the townspeople or whatever, she would probably be the one who would get the empathy and the care. More. In part because she's got these four boys, and um, and they seem to be uh, uh, blind and blah blah blah, all these kind of things. Um, and so I had so much fun with this idea that they are kind of the mirrors of each other, and where, but in a way, where Adelaide is sort of for a while at least is kind of deep in her grief and her sadness and all this stuff. Mrs. Mudge loves who she is. Like she's having a good time. She, in a way, she's kind of having a good time, and she's really good. Without spoilers, she's really good at what she does, mm-hmm. you know. And I kind of loved it, uh, you know, and um, loved letting that energy in as well. So, and also, you know, that sense too of like not wanting to turn it into a kind of thing like, well, all the women are good and they're always nice to each other. Right. No, 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 they're all everything. The, the women here are all the range of all the feelings uh, and the choices and the actions and all the rest. Uh, so I, if, if they felt like they were like over the top and a little funny and all stuff, I'm very happy because that's definitely uh, what I wanted uh, for them uh, and for that sense of threat, obviously, as well. And also kind of like reminded me, because like in this time period, I think, I mean, clearly, like, the amusements were kind of low, but especially um, in the Plains region where there's, like, nothing. So, like, it reminded me, like, a little bit of the dynamics are a little bit like a, a circus a bit with the, uh-huh. with the yeah, 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 yes. <laughs> yes. Like, just, like, yes. like where the, like, the, shit, like, hijinks of it all, but also, like, it was very much, like, uh, like like the kind of hijinks you don't want to be a part of that's right like, it's great to see on tv but not like in person to happen to you no that would not be amusing so right. it was interesting seeing adelaide go and have to like handle that and that's something yeah. that like she's already going through so much so here's one more thing to like figure out um and i think that like that character like development even for like the like uh non-main characters and your work is really interesting to see but then thinking back about your main characters um and both lone women and the changeling uh the protagonists are lured towards areas where they haven't yet explored that they haven't yet explored um and lone women it's the plains region um and the changeling um the main character is not he's from new york but he's not 
like in Queens, like for, mm-hmm. all, for all the time. And as someone who first, this is an aside, but like as someone who the first, when I first moved to New York, I li- lived in Queens. Uh-huh. It was interesting to me that that was his journey was like coming from, he was the opposite. Like I never, I've never lived in like Manhattan or the Bronx, but it was interesting seeing someone who's, that was their journey was like going to Queens and I was I started from Queens it was like an interesting back um, not very many people go to Queens like yeah. choose to go to, to Queens be, you have to be in Queens yes. to be in like yes. it's a thing it's um, true so it was really interesting to me that I was like oh like just because of the nature of like curiosity around like the work that he does he's lured out to Queens like you had to have a reason to be there um what do you find most compelling about using the call of like curiosity, but also a sense of like desperation, which is also part of both of their stories, like why yeah. they're forced to go on those journeys um, to build their character motivation. How does that like appeal to you as a writing kind of motivation kind of arc thing? Well, I mean, I, I in general, I, I do, I am interested in just char- getting characters on the move a little bit in part because uh, like when someone is, put in an unfamiliar place there it's they're more likely to you're more likely to uh to sort of to to make it vivid because it's the first time you're seeing this or that and therefore you have a right to go into all the details but like if the character's in their usual place like any of us you start to forget the details of your home because you're so used to them you know and so on the purely writing level it's an excuse to like you know, you say like, well, why would the main character walk into their bedroom for the thousandth time and go into four pages about their bedroom? The reader needs that, but why would the character need that? Especially if it's like first person kind of thing, you know? Uh, So travel is an excuse to just do that thing. Um, uh, But, and and then as far as like desperation, I guess in a way like um, it's good for telling stories. You know, like when somebody really needs something, really wants something, it's a cliche almost, right? Like, what does the character want? Um, but uh, by this point, I found it actually works, especially if what they want is something on some level understandable, even if it's not relatable, like understandable, you know, like uh, so in The Changeling, Apollo, he um, he he's just he's making a living. He needs to go buy these books to make a living to take care of his uh, wife and to help take care of his wife and newborn child. And you kind of say, okay, I think that's clear and understandable. And then it takes him into these completely wild places, but that's the draw kind of thing. And then for Adelaide, um, from the opening chapter, you understand why she can't, you understand that she can't stay where her family is from. And part of the mystery is, but why? Like what happened? I saw what happened, but I I don't know what caused it. And so I'm curious about that, but I understand why she has to run, why she's a fugitive at the start. And then as the story sort of un- unravels, you understand, oh, it, was, it wasn't just that she had to escape a bad situation. It was also like she's, she had to flee the life she'd been raised in on an emotional level. And so then that hopefully also then feels more complex and deeper, but also maybe people can relate to that too, you know, like... Uh, I had to get out of my old life or I had to get out of the life my family raised me in because it wasn't the life, it was killing me, you know? I think that's a common enough thing that it, that it, it could draw you. Uh, if anything, sometimes in the past, like earlier in my writing career, sometimes I would have people, I would have my characters have a desire, but I didn't understand that I should communicate that desire clearly to the reader. And so like, I remember like when I was in writing classes, and one of the things that would come is like, why are they doing this? And I would say, oh, isn't it obvious? They they don't want this or this to happen. And they'd go, where is that? And there'd be like one sentence buried 13 pages in. It would be like in passing. They're, there's the motivation. And they'd be like, how about you put that on page one? Could they just say that, you know? And you go, yeah. oh, yeah, I guess they could. Yeah. So yeah. these days it serves well. Yeah, it's such a hard (laughs) thing when writing to like remember that nobody else is in your brain. (laughs) Really (laughs) hard. Isn't this like I I said it right, or at least I thought it, so (laughs) it means it should be on the page. Yes. (laughs) But it's such. It's funny. Is it's such a. I remember having a writing teacher who was saying, who said, um, "There's really only two kinds of writers, as far as he was concerned. There's the writers who say way too much." 
and the writers who say way too little. And he said, the writers who say way too much are much easier to help because you just say, instead of these, all of this, just cut it. All you need is this. But the writers who say too little by nature are the kind who don't want to say too much. So you have to like hook, jam a hook inside their brain or something like that and just pull (laughs) so hard because you say like, instead of one sentence, we need three. And then they'll be like, how about one and a half? You know, (laughs) and you'd be like, please, three sentences and I'm in this thing. And it'll take the whole semester to get them to give you three sentences that explain the core thing. Um, And I, and he told me that saying, and you're the kind who doesn't say enough. So just stop it. And I had to, (laughs) and it took maybe 15 years to stop. (laughs) So. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine it's such a difficult, like, it's just like, how do you translate it onto the page in a way that, like, makes sense to other people, but also, like, mm-hmm. accurately reflects what you're trying to do? It's like... That's right. Yeah. And, also and like you said, isn't so, like, here. Though, as someone yes. with ADHD and a little neuro spiciness to my brain, I would love it if every author just started <laughs> off with, like, an opening page <laughs> of just, like, here. This is the journey this you're about to go on. <laughs> this is the right. ride. Right. Enjoy. <laughs> I, I'm constantly, like, these two get, they're the worst, because I will, like, be messaging them, especially about a book they've told me to read, and be like, what happened? And they're like, just keep reading. And I'm right. like, no, no, no. I need to understand. I, I can't keep reading until you tell me that everything is going to be okay, or everything is not right. going to be okay, but this, like, in-between where I don't know. Well, do you ever do? I mean, I know some people who like they read the last chapter. Oh, I would first. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need the full thing because if I if I just read the last chapter, like I'm still confused. I need to know exactly what happened, and, and then, then I you have can to follow. Go along on the ride. Right. right, right. So I'm that. also one of those people. Like even when I'm watching like movies and stuff, I will have read the entire plot. Right. synopsis like know exactly what's happening and then i'm ready to watch it <laughs> well what i mean i feel like uh, learning like whatever is the path that helps you enjoy the thing you like you know enjoy things yeah it's harder to do with books so people don't like to spoil books i've tried maybe I've looked, I've looked maybe everywhere you should on make the, the uh maybe well i don't know if you want to do it but somebody should just like make a website be like look yeah spoilers yeah. for people who are have anxiety like <laughs> That, I could actually see that being like a really like hitting a nerve, like uh, even just like it was like a YouTube channel or something like that, where I'm now going to spend two minutes. I'm going to tell you that everything that happened in this story and how many people would be like, oh, I, I really needed that. Yeah, Everyone with anxiety because yes. the, the the not knowing. Yes. Yeah. Everyone with anxiety and every high school student with a book report. Ah, uh, yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> that would also be a huge gift. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they did not want to tell me what was in the uh, in the baggage. What was in the baggage? <laughs> what else was, experience that? Like you have to like, like I don't I just just, just tell me. me. Yes. <laughs> Why did she bring it with her? That yeah. was my thing. Leave it there. Just escape. Yeah, but then but, but if you've been was... raised with the responsibility. Yeah. And I think that I mean? made sense like, too of like she's leaving and she can't stay but she's still also taking some of that with her which is like an interesting thing of her wanting to leave but feeling like she can't and like yeah, and you can't leave it yeah. behind completely because it's yeah in the middle of your <laughs> yeah right right Here on Wizard Team, it's no surprise that we love books. We also love supporting the independent bookstores. With our bookshop affiliate link, you can not only get all the books on your TBR, but you can support indie bookstores and BNC at the same time. And if you're not sure what you want, that ain't no problem. Check out our The Plot Thickens list full of recommendations from none other than Portia herself. Head to www.bookshop.org shop slash create to treat your shelves. Treat your shelves. Oh, that's that's nice. That's clever. Oh my goodness. That's clever. It's a new year and we're so excited to bring you all kinds of nerdy and creative content, but we can't do that without your support. 
Becoming a BNC baddie helps us with the general upkeep of our site, upgrade equipment, and invest in the team's creative development. Go to help out your favorite nerds and stay for cool perks like monthly live streams, behind the scenes, and bonus content, and more. If supporting Black creators sounds like your bag, you can sign up at www.patreon.com slash blacknerdscreate. Okay, I so the next couple questions are about the changeling. Um sure. I guess initially just what inspired you um to write it? Uh well in a uh funny way, uh that's the one book I know exactly the day it's it was created and it was the day our first son was born, May twenty first, two thousand eleven. That was the start of that book. Um and uh uh so uh he was born I suddenly went from really hating people with children because I'm just, I could care less about your stupid kid was kind of like, you know, is my feeling all the time of pre-kids. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, but my kid is special. Everyone wants to know about mine, right? And I hopefully, like after I, after a couple months, after the exhaustion starts to wear off a little bit, honestly, after the first year and the exhaustion starts to wear off, I started to have the 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 distance to be like, oh that's the trick is like Mm -hmm. you start thinking but yours is valuable and then that's the egotism of parenting right but that's also the only way you could love this thing that is trying to kill you like every day (laughs) right um and i was so i so i became interested in writing about the the blend of those things right those both those feelings like i love this this person more than anything in the world but also like uh, if you're, so let's say if you're married and you have these two kids or you're with a partner and you have these two kids, I mean, you have the kid, one of the things that can happen often happens for a lot of folks is like, you love each other so much that you have the child, but then having the child jams in, is essentially jams in between the two. It takes so much of your energy. You can't actually give any of your energy to that person you love. Mm -hmm. And you even start to maybe dislike that person because why are you here making other rules than the rules I'm trying to make for this thing? And what do you mean? I got to talk to you. I've just spent all day talking to this thing <laughs> or like, or holding this thing or feeding this, thing, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I felt like, um, uh, before having the kids, before having our son, our first son, we have two, uh, before the first, our first son, I could be wrong, but I thought like a lot of those kind of complicated feelings were not things I often read about or heard about in books or not, or I wanted to add mine to it, you know? And then, but then to the point about like stress or, or danger, I said like, well, but I don't want to just write a story about uh, a couple who have a kid and then it's exhausting. Like who cares, (laughs) you know, like uh, that's everyone, that's every story like that. And why should anybody care about this one? I said, Oh, but what if, the wife begins to say the baby has been stolen and has been traded out for a changeling. Um, And the husband won't believe her because he doesn't see it, but also because they're so distant from each other now that he's doubting her and he's not being very kind to her. And then build from there and build from there and like letting that jump into a fairy tale. And so that felt very exciting to me. And I also thought like, um, that blend of hopefully like realism and the fantastic might be fun uh, for some people at least. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then last, I wanted to write it right then at that time because what other people say all the time, right? Is like, if you have kids, cherish it now because it goes so fast and now all that kind of stuff. But one of the things that also happens is you forget all the mm-hmm. unfortunate parts, right? Uh, and I didn't want to forget those parts. Uh, I wanted to have all those parts that were disturbing and painful and embarrassing and all that kind of stuff. I wanted all that in there. So all of that is kind of what I poured in there. And I felt I really felt like in a way, I don't know if they would want it, but when our kids grow up, if they ever want to know what it was like for their mom and dad when they were born, forget all those happy things we say now that they're grown. Right. This is what it was like. We were convinced that you were not a yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, 
But it's also kind of funny because in a way, the novel ends up being the same thing of like you were trying to like explore with, it's like, it's still the special thing. Like, but again, your journey is special. Like yes. you're a kid, yeah, that's mm-hmm. the special part of it all. Yes. So that's so cool. And, you know, and hopefully, yeah, that idea that like, uh, but on some level, everyone, everyone's journey, I hoped also under there is like, uh, there's no one special journey, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like that it was definitely not some sort of thing of like, that's why I specifically had uh, uh, Patrice and Dana, Apollo's best friend and his wife, where they were like, uh, he says at one point, like, you should have kids. And he and Patrice is like, you must be joking. I don't want these kids. <laughs> and that they're very happy. Like, I mm-hmm. intentionally made their lives actually very loving, very happy. They don't get killed off to, like, show you that being child-free is the bad choice. In <laughs> fact, like... By the end of the book, you're sort of like, I think their choice was actually a decent choice. I mean, you know, they're still at home. Like they're <laughs> they're still at home, in love and enjoying themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was like very intentional because I did not want it to turn to some weird like, parenting is the best thing to do with your life mm-hmm. kind of story either, you know. Yeah. So the changeling has been adapted, and you can watch it now on Apple TV Plus. Um, we always hear about authors getting their books optioned and like sometimes we, it happens before the book is even out. Yeah. Um, and there's all of this like kind of excitement and then it takes forever or yeah. nothing ever comes from it. What was it like for you, the process of the Changeling getting um, optioned or adapted to uh, the screen and then actually, you know, coming to fruition? Yeah, well, I will say, um... So it wasn't the first thing that I'd ever had optioned. And so uh, there was a part of me like the the bet, like on some level, like the minimum good of getting an option, getting something optioned is at least they got to give you a check for the option, right? You make a little money, like in our case, in the past, it was enough to send our kids to summer camp, right? And that is a gift and a half in life, right? So trying to think of it that way has be- that be- started to become my way of thinking of it so that I wouldn't turn into like, all we got out of this was that we sent our kids to camp. Right. Because talk about a way to have anyone else in the world want to slap you in the face, right? Is <laughs> like, we only got some money for nothing, right? Um, so that was kind of my approach to this, to the change thing as well. We got some money. Um, it wasn't wild amounts of money. So it wasn't like life-changing money or anything like that. So I just said, okay, it'll be good. We'll set it aside. We'll go on a, summer camp is covered and maybe enough for us to go on a trip as a family kind of thing. Um, but what I wasn't counting on was the, the woman who became the showrunner, a woman named Kelly Marcel, uh, like literally the day she signed on. So the, there's a, a, a production company, Anna Perna, uh, uh, TV, I guess, or Annapurna Pictures, there was a, a woman who worked there named Allie Krug, who read the book, said, I really think this could be something interesting and good. And then she found Kelly. And Kelly uh, signed on. Kelly said yes. The normal way that it works after that, after the showrunner signs on, or often the way it works is you get your check, your option check, and the writer is told now, Take a Go walk. Away. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> because, the, and it's understandable on some, because the showrunner is a creator and a writer. They want to be free to do what they want. And writers, right? Fiction writers are not, fa- we're, I would say a lot of us are somewhat controlling people, right? <laughs> we're a little bit bossy. You build your own worlds, of course. Because it's yours. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You yeah. made all these things. How could they change the sneakers from red to green? Right. That destroys the entire novel, right? Kind of thing. <laughs> and so a lot of showrunners don't want to deal with that, right? Um, but Kelly, uh, the minute after, a day after she signed it or whatever, flew from LA to New York, said to me, I'm staying at this hotel. Let's have lunch. And we sat down and had like a three hour lunch where we talked through all these things. And even though our lives on paper were very different, she's a a white British woman. Uh, I'm a black kid from Queens. Um, But there were all these elements of the story in the book about like parents who didn't quite muster up about uh, children, life, life, children in danger on some level, all the things. And then also the way that, um, 
then when one thinks about it's your turn to be a parent, the way you think, you can think, I'm going to fix all the mistakes of the people who raised me, which is its own other mistake, <laughs> right? Which is its own other trap and all this kind of stuff. And we bonded over all these things. Um, and then Kelly did this thing that really cemented what what the life of things was next was then she came on the other side of the booth. She picked up, took out her phone, took a selfie of the two of us together and she sent it to the producers and she said, this is who's making the show. And it was a, a lesson to them, like, no matter what, this is who's making the show. And, um, and that became true, uh, as a result, like, so Kelly, it wasn't in the sense, like, I didn't go with Kelly to do pitches and stuff like that. Cause she's the pro she had the experience. So she was doing those things. She didn't need me for that. Um, but, uh, the way it began that we were working together was like, she would write the script. She would send me the script before she sent it to anybody else. She would ask me to read it. Is there anything I noticed, anything that could be changed, anything that wasn't quite working? Uh, and then I would send her back any notes I had, and then she would send it on to the producers. So it became this very intimate uh, relationship, even though she was in LA at one point, then in England at another point. Uh, so it was all phone calls and email, but it was very, very like, um, this is ours. And she really stuck with that. Um, so much so then that, um, so in my deal, I had, uh, I would be, I was going to be listed as something called a co-executive producer, which essentially meant like I'd get a, if the show got made every episode, I'd get a little check. Right. But I didn't have anything to do with making the show. And Kelly was like, I want Victor much more involved in the show. So he should be an executive producer. And what that means is you get a medium sized check for every episode <laughs> if it comes in, but even more importantly, then you need to be there while they're filming. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, like we filmed in New York for five weeks around the corner from where we were living at the time in Washington Heights. I was on set every day when I didn't have to be with the kids. Um, and then, uh, the, over the summer, last summer, last summer, I think it was oh, two summers ago. Um, the, 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 the shoot went to Toronto to do essentially all the interior stuff and all that. Me and my family moved to Toronto for three months and I was on set every day, you know? Uh, and so, uh, it, so all that is to say, it was an absolute dream of an experience. And really like, uh, as time has gone by, I've only come to appreciate more and more what, how generous Kelly was to me and also how much, cause she had said as well, like, I don't want anybody saying like the white British lady ruined your black show. Like, so I need to be able to talk with you about these things yeah. and whatever. And so the way, and I don't, and, but I want you paid for your work. So come up and be this kind of thing. And so, uh, in that way, I was like, I got to be on casting meetings on production meetings also and learn the business and all that kind of stuff. And that was part of Kelly's point was like, I want you to learn this in case you want to move into TV in some sort of way. So it was amazing. Uh, honestly, selfishly. Um, and then the show itself, the, uh, it follows the book very closely for like the first three, four episodes. And then it starts to veer because part of why Kelly came on board was she's like, the changeling is, is really about the guy's perspective is about Apollo. It's really like in his head, but she was a new mother. She was married at the time. She was like, I think I can fill out a little more about the wife's perspective. And I want to mm. do that. And then as we talked some more, she came to understand my mom, as I was saying, her journey to come to the States, her, her bravery. And it made her think a little bit about her mother. And she was like, I want to also give time to the mom. Right. And so the, the, in a way the show became the book plus more, as opposed to a lot of times it'll be a little part of the show, a, a little part of the book becomes the show and the rest is thrown away. And that wasn't what happened. So like, um, other people have their own reactions to the show. And I respect that. Right. Like, I mean, cause it's a winding thing. Like Kelly's whole point was like, I'm not explained to, to the point we discussed earlier. She's like, I'm explaining nothing. Uh, you got to watch this show close. And I, and, uh, and I, I, you know, and, uh, and she was like, and I really feel like if we make this beautiful enough, interesting enough, people watch it the first time, they'll say like, I don't know what the hell's going on. And then if they watch it, if they choose, if they watch it a second time, they'll start to see, oh, all these things are like built in there. They're all in mm -hmm. there. But it, and it was a risky thing to do. Right. And like, I would say the reaction has been a blend of like, wow, this is beautiful. And wow, what the hell is going on? Like that is what our show yeah. is. I would, right? I would actually describe 
your book flicked too. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it, re- it reflects the uh, the source material. Exactly. Yeah. Really well. yeah. And yeah. I would say at this point in my life, I think I have, I have, I have accepted or I have leaned, I've, I've sat comfortably in the place of like, and that's just, that's who I am. And hopefully that's, and like, hopefully that's interesting to some people and that that's okay. You know, so like, I, I love the show without reservation and I, I'm so proud of it. And I also understand people are like, uh, what the, f- <laughs> I, you know, I get both. I get both. Yeah. And I respect both. I respect both. I feel like both can be true at the same time. I love like so there I love sometimes getting into stories where I'm like, wait, I don't I don't know what's happening. (laughs) And I'm but I'm like in it. Like I'm still I'm here for it. I'm gonna find like I know I'm gonna figure it out in the end. And it's like it's like a part of the experience too. Yeah. Like trying to It can be. Yeah, I think so. I mean I think and for this project in particular, I think Kelly was really, you know, like um she was really invested in like, uh, 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 to that point, like, I do want it to feel like the book. Uh, and, you know, the book is also, it doesn't have the opening page, like, here's what's going to happen in this book. Uh, and at like, every hundred pages, it almost says, here's a different book. <laughs> and now here's another book, right? And I love that. But like, you know, it's... Uh... Maybe it doesn't have to be on the opening page. Maybe it can be like, go to the author's website. <laughs> You know, it's kind of- it can just be dear Robin to Robin. <laughs> Please go to www.victorlaval.com. You know, you know, it's funny you say that, but I almost feel like there would be some joy in like if there, if number one, uh, we updated my website, but if there was a channel that just said what the f, <laughs> and you click on it, and it's me just going through every book, like okay, let's talk through this book. Here's what it is, and here's what it is. Like that, that might actually be like a fun. Uh, yeah. thing to have you know? i would be i will watch it I will, I will <laughs> now you got me thinking about a, it a guaranteed view for me. <laughs> <laughs> things you could do uh um, yes. you have a lot of things on your plate currently yes um as in the past and in in the future so based on what you can share with us would you mind telling us a little bit about what you may have or maybe just be vague <laughs> and we'll have to puzzle it out later from primer to us all about what it actually is later uh, what you have coming up and is going on, on on your plate currently and that you're hoping to have come out next yeah well I would say um, well in the short term I don't know if uh, if if you or any of your uh, readers are uh, viewers are comic book readers but uh, I've been writing um uh, for Marvel, this uh, there's a in the X Men universe is a character called Sabretooth, uh, who is awful, who's truly evil, uh, and I wrote two five issue miniseries about him last year, uh, and they were uh, leading up to something that just dropped yesterday in the pages of Wolverine. We're calling it the Sabretooth War, and it's like a ten issue mini where. Uh, you know, Sabretooth and Wolverine, those characters have like a long-standing hated, hated history. But um, myself and the writer of Wolverine, whose name is Benjamin Percy, um, we were given the allowance. He said, like, uh, we want to end this. We want this war, this series to be the, um, if you're open to it, the most violent Wolverine comics ever written. And uh, And we said, okay. Uh, we can do that. And then to my great joy, the first issue, issue 41 of Wolverine dropped yesterday. And there've been all a couple of YouTube things that were sent or, and a couple of folks on Twitter, where it's just people who go like, wow, who have read the comic going just like, they said it would be violent, but I didn't think it would be this violent. <laughs> and knowing like, and it's only going to get worse from here. So I'm so happy and I'm so joyful uh, <laughs> about that uh, existing, right? And being allowed to let that sort of like muscle uh, work. And then I will say one of my other books, um, we're waiting to see if we'll get the green light. I really think in like the next, I'm really, or we're being told in like the next week or two, if they will green light this adaptation of another one of my books. Uh, we've already written all six episodes of the book. I mean, of the show. Um, we are like just sitting there ready to just go. Uh, and if it happens, we would shoot it this summer. Um, and it would be on the air, I imagine next year. 
Um, and I guess I should keep it vague since they haven't literally greenlit it yet, but right. like, it's really like at that line where we're talking about actors and all this kind of stuff. And it would be really fun if that was the case. And that one, I will be show running with somebody else, like even more, uh, actively so that, um, uh, I can move, uh, more into like the TV ru running TV shows kind of world, as well as writing books and comics. So wow. I'm excited for that. Yeah. That's cool. It also is funny in a way that like uh, this episode is going to post next month. So time. Oh, so maybe it will be, actually... be announced. <laughs> yeah. That would be so fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I really hope. Yeah, I'm really hoping they'll, uh, you know, all these things, they, like even the changeling that, you know, is like it, it's coming, it's coming and then it's not coming and then it's coming. You know, mm -hmm. so it's a it's kind of a frustrating world because uh, it's not it doesn't really exist until it airs and then of course some streamers can then just make it disappear, disappear. yeah right which is a all other level of frustrating that's a discussion that we could really have <laughs> <I Yeah. know>. <laughs> <laughs> well and like and what they make disappear yeah specifically yeah. mm -hmm. like which yes. voices are the yep. ones that they yep consider and, disposable uh, you should definitely have that discussion and possibly, you know, involve some of our representative in, um, in the in the government about that discussion as well, because it seems very scary, scary world. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, if, if nothing else, I saw somebody when they I remember when they got rid of the was it the um, Batwoman show? The Batgirl. Batgirl movie. Mm -hmm. uh, somebody coming on and talking about like this is this is just a reminder that like why you still need DVDs. Yeah, like, uh, like don't get rid of your DVDs, and if they if they special issue any of these things, I know they won't do that because they don't release it. But like, if you love it, just buy it because it'll disappear. Yeah, there's been a whole like new resurgence of that because of that fear, and I've been like, I gotta get a DVD player now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I know my. That's my the dad hard part. Goes, is like, oh. where do you find these things? My dad is vindicated because he buys. <laughs> everything and has been for years and we've been like why but now he came back he as you right. see he was, he was right. forward thinking <laughs> yeah. that's right probably it's also books when you're like oh crap am i becoming a hoarder like i'm just holding on to all that's the right. things because, right. yeah. yeah well you can't trust corporations to let you keep i mean even like uh i'm i'm hesitant like what it'll say like uh would you like to download like buy this book as an ebook and i like reading ebooks but then there's a part of me that just kind of goes like but you're at some point going to decide i don't own this anymore yeah and i have no recourse i can't sue you because you it's in somewhere in the you know accepting wow. the thing yeah. it yeah. says in there like whenever we decide you don't own this ebook anymore it's gone but even stranger like they can change the words like they can like and like edit they can edit is that your right version. yeah, yeah. They can and they the can just switch up your version so like i have a whole I, other story i stopped buying ebooks uh not buying but i stopped buying like full price ebooks because yeah. I bought a book that then was turned into a movie and they changed the cover to the movie cover and they never changed it back. And I was like, this is uh, ridiculous. I don't buy them. <laughs> like, yeah. like, that was, it just felt like, do you remember when you two came on your phone and your iPhone and it just felt bad? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. Like, it didn't, I don't, I don't believe they changed the words of the book, but like to just like, all of a sudden the cover was different and I couldn't get it back. And like, I was like, wow, that's scary. <laughs> Yeah, they should at least, it should have at least been, which would you prefer to see? Yeah. Right? Like, because uh, it doesn't cost, it's no more space. I mean, or mm -hmm. it's minimal Yeah. extra space, you know. Uh, but it, yeah, it comes down to like, well, no, but we're in control of your, of your stuff. reality. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Next story idea. Let me write this down. Just make sure that there is a special. Um, here's what you can expect. Uh, <laughs> right, that's a writing prompt. Like that, I feel like, like now I'm like, oh, that's a writing prompt I might want to work on. That is yeah. a good one, actually. Good yeah. One. Yeah. Episode of Black Mirror. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, can you let folks know where they can find you and your work? Sure. I mean, uh, really, the only thing I got is uh, I'm on Twitter for however long that lasts. Uh, mm -hmm. um, um, you can find me there. Uh, I have a website, victorlabelle.com, but 
I haven't updated it in a while. Uh, so uh, uh, I'm I'm not the greatest online presence. Is uh, is is actually what that means? But uh, but they can but find you in bookstores. But you can yeah. find me in bookstores or Call on e as an ebook. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, which cover will it be? That's the question. True. Change has uh, a great cover. So yeah, yeah it's, it's such a beautiful the, cover. The other cover, I've. Well, they, you know, actually that was one of the few ones where like, cause the question was like when the, uh, Apple TV, when they said they were going to do it, there was a question, maybe would there be Lakeith and Clark on the cover? Would there be a winner? And then even like Apple, everybody was like, that cover is just too nice. Yeah. We can't, we can't change that cover. And we all were like, yes, don't change that cover. Um, as wonderful as those actors are, <laughs> yeah, it's so good, you yeah. know? So felt very lucky. Art appreciation is very underrated. Yes. Like, I, yeah, I love that we got that. Um, I will say, uh, like, thank you to you, but also thank you to all the listeners who are joining us today. Um, join us again on Wednesday for our next episode of Wizard Team, where we'll be back to reading Amari and the Great Game by B.B. Alston. And thank you for having me. Let me say. Yes. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> this is a great um, conversation. This is wonderful. Wither Team is a part of the Black Nerds Create Collective. If you want to keep up with our content, you can check out our website at blacknerdscreate.com. And unlike Victor, we are very online. So you can follow <laughs> us at Wither Team Pod and at Black Nerds Create. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>